On Culture Confluence, we take a closer look at theater and performing arts in Prince George through the eyes of Theater Northwest and student-run UNBC musical productions. But first, an acknowledgement of whose territory we're on. This podcast was recorded and produced at the studios of Super 88.7 FM at the University of Northern British Columbia. UNBC sits on the traditional unceded territories of the Claytley Tanay. The history of Prince George is one of colonial terror, displacement, land theft, and cultural genocide. As we think about arts and culture in Prince George, we must contend with this reality and recognize that for many of us, our lives, livelihoods, and creative endeavors run parallel to the ongoing, often violent, disenfranchisement of Indigenous communities. I'll say it one more time. We live and work on the traditional unceded lands of the Claytley Tanay. Well, I can't be afraid of mistakes I've made or ones I ain't made yet. Cause I already know to fail is to grow and that's the thanks you get. But sometimes I wake up and think I had enough like I lost a bed. Now the music is free and you can't blame me, blame the internet. Why are you treating me like a stranger? Why are you punishing me with your love? Why are you running from me like I was danger? Is my music not good enough? Marnie and John, thank you so much for being here. Would you mind introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about your roles at Theatre Northwest? My name is Marnie Hamigami, and I'm the executive director at Theatre Northwest. What that means is that I am responsible to the board of directors, and I report on both financial and artistic aspects of the organization. My name is John Riley. I'm the production manager at Theatre Northwest. I am more or less in charge of the nuts and bolts operations um, at the theater. I look after the designers, figure out how the sets are being built, get the costumes organized, kind of this, that, and the next thing. And yeah, nuts and bolts. Great. Uh, so I understand that Theater Northwest is the only professional theater company for 700 kilometers and boasts best paid attendance, most annual performances, and one of the highest subscription rates in Canada. Um, we are certainly the the only professional theater for a long ways away. I think our closest neighbor is Western Canada Theater. Um, and we at one time did uh, boast the highest subscription rate per capita in the country. I, I'm not sure that we're there anymore, having not compared the numbers with anybody recently. Uh, it's... The, the nature of ticket buying has changed so drastically over the past 10 years that... Um, it's not something that anybody talks about in that particular way anymore. <laughs> and, and in terms of most performances, I guess by nature of being the only theater, we're also, <laughs> we have the most performances in the region. So yeah. Uh, those are some pretty impressive stats. And I guess there's probably a natural ebb and flow to these things as well, depending on what kind of performances you're putting on every season and that kind of thing. For sure. So what was the journey like to get there in terms of establishing the only theater company between here and Kamloops. Um, how have things changed since 1994? Uh, you know, I, I think Ted Price and Anne Lachlan did some amazing work. They started very small and grew 
over time and uh, and built the organization into what it is today. So since Ted and Ann, our founders, created Theater Northwest, we've had two other general manager slash artistic directors in the role. Uh, one was Samantha McDonald and then Jack Rin, most recently Jack Rinhouse, and now me. So, so yeah, this is, it's been a labor of love and, uh, you know, we've had tremendous support from the community and from all of our funding bodies. So, yeah. This is my eighth season coming up. Okay. Yeah. So I came in with, uh, Samantha brought me in and. From Western Canada Theater? I was working down in Vancouver at the time doing corporate events. Mm -hmm. So Hmm. it came on up and it's just been. It's interesting to see the jumps that were made. Leadership needs to change around on a fairly regular basis is kind of what it is. Because you look at everything that Ted and Ann achieved, and they achieved a lot. I mean, they created this thing from the ground up. Then when Samantha came in, it was a, a bit of a new vision coming in on it, and a bunch of things changed. The way the staffing worked, the way that we went and brought in, frankly, a lot of safety upgrades and things like that, just from, you know, really from my expertise. And then when Jack came in, we got lobby upgrade and and then all the new seats and just different things that different people go and take a look at the company and say, really, hey, this is what needs to happen and this is what I can bring to the game. It's always a delicate balance to maintain the history and integrity of an organization while at the same time helping it to move forward. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And that, for us, for Theatre Northwest, that has been so dependent on the core staff. Um, leadership can only do so much by itself. It needs a competent staff. It, it, it answers to the the local artistic community because really that's where a lot of it's been pulled from. Mm-hmm. Very little has been pulled from outside um you know a person here or there Mm -hmm. but generally it's been local people who have a passion for art and for theater that have come in jumped in and you know made it made it it what it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how do you maintain a kind of institutional knowledge with that high turnover in or not high turnover but with the turnover of leadership Oh, that is the million dollar question. Um, well, certainly for me, when I came on, I worked with Jack for three seasons before he left. So there was a lot of knowledge transfer in that way. But also the um, the board of directors is a huge holder of institutional knowledge, as are um, the senior staff positions. So for me, John is still in place. Um, our financial officer is still in place. We actually have a really low turnover rate at the theater in terms of core full-time staff. So that that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both um, Sam and Jack answer questions and phone calls as needed. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so part of Theater Northwest's mandate is to promote interest and development in the arts in the North. Uh, why do you think that's so important to our community specifically? And what are some of the benefits, tangible and intangible? So that's a that's a really interesting question and one that we're always um, excited to talk about because not just Theatre Northwest, but the broader arts community and the broader cultural community um, is really what makes Prince George a community. It's the sports teams and the arts organizations and the community event groups that 
prevent us from just being a work camp where people are cycling through very quickly. It's our organizations that help people put down roots in our community. And for us, that's hugely important in terms of our own organizational health, but also in terms of the health of the community. Um, a vibrant, vibrant arts community is a great indicator of community health. And, and, I, and I try to speak, when I'm talking about this sort of topic, I try to speak in terms of cultural um, scene, because to me, the sports organizations, as well as the arts and culture organization, that's all the same. Um, we're all providing the same service in that sense. You know, you want your kid to be able to play in Little League and also get piano lessons. And you want to be able to go to a hockey game and come to the theater. So there's, we're all sort of working to create a more vibrant fabric for the community. And uh, John, you mentioned you moved here from Vancouver. I moved here from Victoria a few years ago, in mm-hmm. large part because of the arts community that I knew existed here. Was that true for you also, Marnie? Yeah. How did you end up here? I moved here from Victoria with my husband and child, and I moved here to, um, I was the, hired as the general manager of the symphony, and we very much looked at the arts and culture scene. The The Prince George Coovers were a huge part of our decision, as was the theater, my husband is a huge sports fan, so he loves to be able to go to hockey games and see these young kids come up. And he's also, you know, really interested in the arts community. So we, you know, these are all things that attract, not just attracted us, but kept us in the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was that true for you also, John? Was that part of your decision-making process? It totally was. Yeah, I mean, coming up to a place, I mean, I've always been a BC boy, and... You know, yeah, just being able to come up specifically for the theater, but you're not working in isolation. You know, there are other professionals in town. There are colleagues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going down and helping out the Spruce Kings on Saturday and things like that. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is maybe we don't talk about as much between the organizations. It's like, there are so many um, non-traditional partnerships within the cultural uh, tableau of the community. For example, we're providing services to the Cougars for um, creating relaxed programming and to help them with sensory kits and um, uh, building social stories to help them bring all members of the community into their into their venue. Um, John, as he mentioned, is going down to help the Spruce Kings on Saturday. They need um, some technical support with their entertainment system, and and we can provide that. And in turn, both organizations, both hockey teams, um, provide us with support when we need it. It's, It's always been a really nice flow between all of the organizations. So... We we do all work together, and I think we all we do all see each see ourselves as part of the same cultural community. Even though I often feel that sports and art are pitted against each other as two diametrically opposed forces. For the boots on the ground organizations in the in the local level, we support each other all the time. I mean, I don't think the Cougars have ever said no to us when we've asked for um, something for a silent auction or. If we've needed to borrow something, it's always... We all play nice. Yeah. And we share a lot of uh, kind of organizational 
similarities as well in terms of um, the importance of volunteer contributions, uh, funding. Well, and I mean, one of the interesting things that I've always thought about the two, about sport and art, is that um, from an organizational structural standpoint, we're also built in the same way. Um, they're often run in the two-headed dragon model. You have a head of business and a head of either the sport or art side, depending on the organization. And, and those two positions answer to a board of directors. And so... I mean, they're structurally speaking, very similar, have all the similar components. I mean, the places where they diverge is, are we producing a hockey team or are we producing a season of theater or a symphony? (laughs) Okay, Theatre Northwest has played a leadership role in promoting accessibility to theater productions. Could you tell us more about these initiatives, like the relaxed performances and why they're so important? So at Theatre Northwest, we understand accessibility to be about not just physical accessibility, but also neurological accessibility. Um, The theatre community, uh, both nationally and internationally, has been engaging in a movement called relaxed programming, and that involves adjusting our theatre spaces to help people with both physical, sensory input, mental, emotional, and any sort of difference into our spaces. Um, And that can mean, again, in the case of physical accessibility, that can mean ramps and handbars. And for sensory input um, differences, that can mean helping to create um, an environment in which they, in which people can move around, in which they can talk if they need to, in which they can come and go as many times as they need to. Um, so that is really sort of the driving force behind what we're doing. We were lucky enough to be one of the first I think there were five, maybe 10 theaters in Canada to receive some training around this program. We were lucky to be one of those theaters. We shared that training throughout the broader community because there's obvious applications of this program, of the program of helping people into your space. There's obvious implications of that on other cultural organizations in the city. Uh, AIM High provided funding for this program. So did the Community Foundation. And the course, when we put it on, was a three-day course, and it was attended by the library. I think the art gallery was there. Western Canada Theatre came up. There was, Playhouse was there. There was a wide range of arts and culture organizations in the training. And the result of that has been um, more accessible spaces in our community. And again, accessibility includes physical and emotional accessibility it became apparent very quickly how that environment can be helpful to a lot of people, not just folks on the autism spectrum. So, for example, our relaxed performances often have parents with very young children, so nursing mothers, um, people who have other sensory input issues or anxiety or need to move, incontinent issues. We try to remove as many barriers as we can from those performances, including financial barriers. So they are pay what you can, which means you can come for free if you want. If people ask us how much they should donate, we say $10, but people are pretty good about giving what they can, and and it's fantastic. And it's been a really interesting experience for a lot of the artists who are up on stage on just the relationship that they don't usually have with an audience, where usually the audience is in the dark, they're in the light, they know there's people out there, but they can't see them. And then suddenly they're actually seeing them 
and getting really honest at honest reactions, very honest reactions sometimes <laughs> to what they're going and doing. But it's not a chaotic environment. It's very much like another, like every other show. But there's a there's a different feel to it. It's really interesting. Hmm. And technically speaking, we try to keep the artistic integrity of the performance as similar as possible. Totally. We've made very, very few changes um, over the years that we've gone and done this. Little things like we've taken gunshots out. When we did when we did Head of Noir, there were gunshots. That was a bit much mm-hmm. for a performance like this, and we found another we found another way around that to go and make it quieter. Yeah. But we didn't change the show. We aren't changing the language. We're not changing the costumes or the set or anything like that. It's little tweaks. Maybe we're making the sound a bit quieter Mm -hmm. during a certain time. Yeah. You are listening to Culture Confluence, hosted and produced by me, Kate Partridge, with support from CIFR 88.7 FM and the Community Arts Council. You can find past episodes of Culture Confluence at cultureconfluence.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast provider, including CastBox and Apple Podcasts.
um, the sensory stories. I'm familiar with sensory stories. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that? Yeah, so a, sense, uh, a social story is social what it's story. called. And a social story is a tool that is used to help mitigate the unknown in a situation. So, for example, um, we... In, in my family, we often use a sensory story for going to the doctor. So it's a series of very simple, descriptive sentences paired with real photos that say, this is the doctor, you know, this is the seat you're going to sit in at the doctor's office. The doctor will use a stethoscope. And we do that very much at the theater. It's the same thing. It's, I think our document is maybe 25 or 30 pages and it says, you know, this is the bus stop you'll get off at at Theater Northwest. Here's the lobby. Here's the bathroom. The idea is to make something less unknown to help with anxiety, to help understand what is expected of you in this situation and what you can expect out of the situation as somebody who may uh, just need a little more help getting through a new experience. The sensory, or sorry, the social stories are a very common tool used with um, uh, children on the spectrum that have autism spectrum disorder. And so people who have used those are very, I mean, they're familiar with them and they're available. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine it also helped to put Prince George on the map for a lot of the kind of regional theater companies as well, having that training available in Prince George as opposed to, say, Vancouver or Victoria. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was really nice. It's it, it's so nice to be able to do it locally. And like I say, the for us, the great thing was is that we could have so many different organizations attend the training and apply it to their own apply it to their own organizations in the mm-hmm. way that best suited them. I, I think the library has a social story. I know that Theatre Northwest provides help to other organizations in creating a social story to help um, that process. So I like I said, I think we're doing it with the Cougars next week. And yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we can talk a little bit about the intimate choreography policy that was also developed fairly recently for Theatre Northwest and has been adopted by a few companies across Canada now. Yeah, so um, that was a really, again, talking about non-traditional partnerships, that was a partnership that we had with uh, CNC, with the College of New Caledonia. They have a HR program that provides a free internship to community organizations, and, and Theatre Northwest has used that for several years. And just at the time of this particular internship, things were exploding in in the theater community. Um, There was some really awful behaviors being talked about very openly for the first time, um, which was both awful and wonderful. (laughs) Good that we were able to talk about it and awful that it had been happening. So I talked with with the folks at CNC and we decided that we wanted to pick one of their students to write this intimate choreography policy. So what this is, is a guideline to help make sure that everybody in the artistic process is on the same page with regard to how intimacy is going to be approached. Now, intimacy is not exclusively physical. Intimacy can involve intense emotions, it can involve um, obviously physical contact, and it can involve all sorts of different aspects of the human experience. So in providing this policy, what we are doing is stating out loud what the rules of engagement are. That way everybody knows what to expect and it sort of mitigates the, it mitigates the surprise 
and helps people to understand that Theatre Northwest is not a place that is going to tolerate any sort of harassment. And the other hope is that if an, if some situation were to happen, which thank God it never has, that they could come to senior management and say, like, in accordance with your policy, this is not something, this happened and, and I'm not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of It's part of my first day of rehearsals speech that I always talk about. I I always encourage people to speak to somebody if they have any issue. If they don't feel comfortable speaking to me, they should speak to, you know, the board chair, their agent, their equity representative, the police, whoever, just to make sure that they're speaking about it. Now, we took the policy and we shared it quite widely across the country. And I know that some organizations have grabbed it and adapted it for their own use. It was a great partnership between the college and us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so looking towards this upcoming season, uh, it's a four-play season that runs September to May. I understand the first performance is in October this year. Could you give us a little a little preview of the upcoming productions? The first one is Dracula, The Bloody Truth. It's a farce. It's rollicking good time, I think is the way to describe it. Um, it's. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. This was a show that was originally done at Vertigo Theatre and is currently a co-production between us and Western Canada Theatre. And just seeing little bits that have been happening in it, I think it's going to be a hoot, a great way to start off the show, and especially with it happening right around Halloween. Second one is Ring of Fire, which is Johnny Cash musical. Um, Who doesn't love Johnny Cash? I mean, everybody and their dog knows his music. And it just, it's done in a bit of a different way and it's been hugely popular everywhere it's gone and been done bring out mom and dad bring out yourself it's gonna be a goodie our third one is it's one dumb a piece that was actually created by miguin fairbrother and jack grinhouse another it's going to be our powerful dramatic piece this year it is accessible it's enjoyable we went and workshopped it here but it's not fluff it's it's a nice meaty piece that is that people can sit down and artistically um, I've seen pictures because it was they went and did a big upgrade on it technically in Toronto and it is gorgeous it's just beautiful to look at and our fourth one is stones in his pocket which is a piece about a town in Ireland where they go and do a movie and basically cast the entire city and all the interactions that are happening in there. And it's Marie Jones, I think, also did Fly Me to the Moon, which we went and did a couple of years ago. And people really enjoyed that one. I think they're really gonna enjoy this one. All said and done, we've got a solid season. And then following it off with our Theater for Young People, we've got Somebody Loves You, Mr. Hatch. and. That's, again, like I said, that's our TYA. You know, great reviews on it. I think the schools will all be involved. We'll have a couple of public performances for it. Great. It's a packed season. Uh, And a a wide range of performances as well. What are some of the challenges of putting on such a wide range of productions? Really, it's just headspace. Staying on budget. (laughs) (laughs) You know, is just sort of the mental gymnastics on... I'm doing this show and this is the kind of things we're doing and oh now I'm using microphones 
and we've got musicians on stage and oh now we're doing projections and it's just keeping going with the flow but that's what keeps the job interesting i can't i couldn't do a job where i'm doing the same thing every day give me something new yeah and what kind of work goes into each production like what is it, what's the process for preparing for something like that vastly <laughs> different show by show yeah co-productions tend to be pretty easy um <laughs> mostly because they are generally um originated somewhere else we get for instance dracula western canada theater builds it so they build it they perform it they pack it in a truck drive it up here with a couple of their technicians and then together we very quickly put it together on stage and tech it and recreate a show that already exists so something like that lead time and whatnot on that kind of thing is monitoring on something like Johnny Cash where we're going and creating the show here it's a lot more involved it's bringing your designers in it's making sure that everyone's talking to everybody that everyone's got all their information that for instance because there's very little turnaround between Dracula and Johnny Cash we've gone and built the Johnny Cash show on stage right now and then we're going to take it all down and put it in storage and flip it around between the two it's gymnastics mm-hmm. in the brain because I don't do gymnastics normally mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of balls to keep in the air at one time yeah yeah maybe this is a question for you Marnie what would you say to folks who think that theater isn't for them that maybe it's a stuffier and welcoming space I think that when attending a live performance it's important to to pick something that you're interested in. I I think that we are all aware that not everybody loves everything. And so taking a look at our season, we have tried to offer and always try to offer a wide range of productions that that can appeal to to a larger cross section of the community. So, you know, coming to a live performance at the theater, you look at something that you are interested in and come to that one. And if what you're interested in is the live performance put on by one of the other local groups, you should go to that too. The thing about live theater is that like live music and live sport, it's just a different experience than watching something on Netflix. It's a very ethereal, um, transitory experience. You're much more emotionally connected to the, to the performers, even if that emotion is that you don't like it. And that's the other thing I have to say. We, of course, we want you to love what we're doing and we want you to, um, we want people to come and enjoy themselves. But we're also not afraid of people not liking the art. And you don't have to like all the art. It's like, it's similar to paintings. You know, we all think the Mona Lisa is beautiful, but it's not necessarily something you want to have in your front room. We don't think that you need to come away feeling good and happy from every artistic experience that you have. It's okay to feel angry or confused or disgusted or any combination of the range of human emotions after a production and to be comfortable having those feelings and to be comfortable knowing that you're going to have those feelings over the course of of a season, for sure. So... um, I guess for people who think that it might be too stuffy, I would say maybe give it a try. You can wear your pajama bottoms. 
As it comes helps. to Dracula. Yeah, that ain't exactly. going to be stuffy. But, you know, I encourage, I always encourage people to try new things. And, and you know, if, if trying new things is somewhat intimidating for you, you can check out our social story. That might help remove some of the barriers um, and surprises as to what is going on. Um, I love our theater. I think our theater is wonderful, but it is not neoclassical <laughs> in, in architectural style. So I think that you'll feel comfortable in it in terms of the ambiance of our space. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say one of the first things I did when I moved to Prince George was go to a Theatre Northwest performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it was not stuffy at all. It was not stuffy or unwelcoming. It was a great mm-hmm. introduction to the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've mentioned support from the broader community in general. Have you felt that uh, support when incorporating these more um, progressive policies into your programming, uh, indigenous programming or female leadership, accessibility, defined broadly, that kind of thing? Has there been community support for that aspect as well? Um, That's a complicated question. I think that uh, broadly speaking, yes. Certainly our funders and our sponsors have all been extremely supportive of um, progressive policies and progressive programming. Progressive is a word that I'm not sure that I would quite use to describe what it is we're doing. Not that we're not progressive, it's just that that word comes with a specific connotation that I'm not sure necessarily applies. We're, we're creating, what we're doing at Theatre Northwest, or at least what we're trying to do, is create the kind of theatre that Prince George wants to be involved in. And that theatre doesn't necessarily speak to all people all the time. When I was speaking to, to a friend of mine who is an older man, uh, so has a different perspective on life than I do, for sure. And I was say, and he was asking me the same question, and I said, well, you know, the people who come to play number three aren't necessarily the people who come to play number two. And he said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. Well, you know, you like, you really liked Million Dollar Quartet, and you didn't like Heather Rose. Why do you think that it wouldn't be that that's a two-way street. Some people who liked Heather Rose didn't love Million Dollar Quartet. And he was like, what? <laughs> so so helping people to understand that it's a, it takes all sorts, right? Everybody has different taste. And I guess the, the to take it one step further, although not everybody loves everything we do, I think the majority of people understand why it is we do what we do. And they understand the artistic integrity and they understand the artistic necessity in doing all sorts of theater mm-hmm. in our space. And so I don't think that we have pushback with regard to that. And I think that most people who come and see a show, again, maybe they don't like the show, but they appreciate the art. And they appreciate the integrity that was put into actually going and creating it. That it wasn't, this was a piece of garbage. It was, okay, it wasn't for me, but Mm -hmm. I got something out of it anyway. Yeah. I I would imagine people also appreciate the option uh, to see something of such a professional caliber in their home city as well. uh, Even if it's not for them, per se. For sure, for sure. I think... Uh, So we've touched on some community partnerships earlier... Could you tell us about some of the groups that you're currently working with and how those relationships developed? Thinking about like Madly Entertainment, which is coming up in October. Uh, you mentioned the Belly Dancers, uh, UNBC Musicals. We work with a lot of groups. I mean, part of it is, if I can just be crude for a moment, we have a space that we don't use all the time but have to pay for all the time. <laughs> so in forming these partnerships, it's important to for us to make sure that our space is in use. 
um, that helps in so many different ways. We don't want the theater to be empty. And, and this sort of dovetails with your with the earlier question of how do you get people who have never been to theater who might not think it's accessible? How do you get them through the door? Well, if they're coming through the door to drink gin and do a gin tasting or a scotch tasting, if that's their first time through the door, they're going to look around and say, oh, <laughs> there aren't flying buttresses with cher- golden cherubs everywhere. <laughs> Not everybody's wearing a tuxedo. (laughs) So it it helps, you know, like the first time over the threshold, no matter what it's for, helps and helps them consider coming again for something else. Um, In terms of the community partnerships, I think one of the privileges of our position in the artistic and cultural community is that we have such a great venue and such wide community support. And it then becomes our responsibility to, to help where we can develop the expertise in the community to continue to run our theater. So some of these partnerships, like with UNBC Musical, it gives us an opportunity to train young people in using a theater in how theater works. And maybe none of them will, maybe they'll all go on to be doctors and lawyers, and that would be fantastic. But maybe one over the course of five years, will go on to become a technical professional in theater, and that is fantastic. So, so that's part of it. We we understand that our responsibility and privilege of of sharing what we do with with the wider community is there. We understand the responsibility and privilege of making sure our building is busy and has a lot of people going through it. But um, on a more selfish level, we really like working with these groups. They bring a lot of energy. They're fun. They do things differently than we do it and help us be better at what we do. Um, Working with the UNBC musical group is just a joy. They're so enthusiastic. They're way more enthusiastic than we are. (laughs) (laughs) And they're, you know, they help us feel um, excited about what we're all doing again. So, so these partnerships sort of develop organically. We we run into these folks in the community. We work with them on other projects. We talk over beers, and then we develop the relationship that way. Uh, in the case of UNBC Musical Society, it was really an easy fit because we have the space to do what they're doing. We have a lot of the props and costumes to help facilitate what it is they're doing. And uh, again, we we want to see that organization be successful. Mm-hmm. Especially considering there isn't a theater program in town, Yeah, you know, at a university college level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, neither organization has one. So it's wonderful that students have taken it on to themselves to go and create it and do for themselves. And if they can come and play with us, fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know. Where can people find you online? Where can they find more information about the upcoming season? Uh, We are at theaternorthwest.com. You can find our tickets. You can find... um, our, cal- our schedules to let you know what's going on at the theater, and you can also find our social story there. Great. Marnie, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You betcha. Thank, thank you very much. You are listening to Culture Confluence, hosted and produced by me, Kate Partridge, with support from CIFR 88.7 FM and the Community Arts Council. You can find past episodes of Culture Confluence at cultureconfluence.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast provider, including CastBox and Apple Podcasts. So if you wouldn't mind, could you all introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your role at UNBC Musicals? Hi, I'm Riley Spencer. I am the president of UNBC Musical Productions. 
I'm Alex Verge. I'm the vice president of UNBC Musical Productions. I'm Solomon Goodsword, and I am the secretary of UNBC Musical Productions. <laughs> You're all students, I take it? We are. What do you study? I'm an English major. As am I. And Riley, I'm stealing the mic from her. <laughs> Riley's an English and history major. We've got a, a lot of English majors in the room right now. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, so how long have you been involved with the organization? I've been here the longest. Uh, this is my fourth year with the club. Uh, it's my third year as musical director and as well as member of the exec. <laughs> and me and Alex are both one year. Yeah, we both joined yeah. last year. Yeah. Uh, it was new to us. Um, it was very exciting. We, yeah. So we've both kind of like got to know everybody together, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there a pretty nice community formed around the organization? It's, Are you all pretty good friends? I like yeah, to think so. <laughs> I think so. I think it's pretty amazing. Like just um, when I joined last fall, I was pretty amazed with how welcoming everyone was and how well everyone got along. Yeah, and it's been really great. Otherwise, I wouldn't still like, you know, be in the exec. (laughs) (laughs) And how is that? Maybe this is a question for you, Riley, as the senior member of the organization. Uh, How has the club changed over time? Oh, well, we're eight years into the club now. Um, And honestly, like you can't recognize us. We're now performing on a semi-professional, a professional stage as a semi-professional group with Theatre Northwest. Uh, And we started off in the Canfor Theatre, which you can imagine how that went, being as there's a gigantic bar in the way and no stage. Um, No change rooms. (laughs) No change rooms. (laughs) So now we have access to like this beautiful set. Uh, We've got an amazing group of people now working on it instead of just one person running every everything which is how it started is pretty wild that's great uh what are some of the advantages and challenges of operating a student club that is not connected to a theater program or performing arts program oh rehearsal space rehearsal Mm. space is our big one um we still rehearse in the can for which is small especially compared to theater northwest Getting access to those resources that we need. It's not like we have anything, any costumes here or anything that we can pull from, which, again, Theatre Northwest has been helping us with. So shout out to them. Uh, How do you recruit performers or executives for that matter? Peer pressure. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of peer pressure tends to happen. We also rope people in. um, A lot of people like to join kind of the first show that happens uh, because it's more fun. It's less Mm. high stakes and and they have no intentions of being in the next show. And then kind of we uh, fondly refer to theater as a cult. So they join thinking it'll be just some innocent fun and then they can never escape. They're one of us forever. (laughs) That's what happened to me. It's true. Saul was just going to be in just one show. He didn't have any plans on being around and then he he's here now and he's exec what are some of the advantages of being volunteer run do you find you have more creative freedom than uh you might otherwise i would give a hard yes to that one um i'm actually directing my first show at the club which stars alex and solomon which is the last five years and is coming up um And it's different directing in this setting compared to anything else because i'm also running the club so That's a lot of power for one person. (laughs) Um, But it's nice to have that freedom to it be like my ideas that are going on stage, but I'm also still working with my actors and I'm working to build something all together. And it's really exciting. As an actor, I feel that um, being all of us being volunteers really helps in terms of everyone kind of gets more of a voice. Like if 
Riley were getting paid to be director and I were being paid to be an actor, it would be very clear cut roles. And I I would, because I've been in that situation. So it would be very, you know, I have ideas, but I kind of have to just be quiet about them and listen. And, And that's fine in the professional space, but it's really nice to be able to expand upon ideas and talk about them without feeling like I'm infringing on any sort of like power dynamic. And there's this real nobility about just people wanting to be involved in a production you know, just for the love of it and without really getting anything material out of it and and everyone just coming together to create something amazing. I think that's that's really great. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned the upcoming production, The Last Five Years. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? We So we're doing a show called The Last Five Years. Uh, we're doing it at the end of September, so it's going to be September 20th, 21st, 22nd, uh, 27th, 28th, 29th at Theatre Northwest. Um, we are so incredibly excited. It's a one-act musical. It's a two-person musical, so it's just Saul and I on stage for an hour and a half. Um, it's so it's a lot of pressure. It's hard, um, but it's about it's it's so real. It's about two people falling in love and then getting married and the difficulties that comes with that. And it's just it's so real and raw and beautiful. Um, it's definitely by far the most real and authentic production I've ever been a part of. I don't know how, what else to say. But I could talk it's, about it for way yeah, too long. It's honestly, one of those like it's a show that you really have to see or at least listen to like several times to really like each time, even, even me and Alex, we've listened to the soundtrack, you know, hundreds of times, but and each every time, there's, time there's something new. Yeah. It's, it's just so well written. And, um, the structure of it too is what is one of the really neat parts of it is. So Alex's character, her storyline sort of goes backwards from the beginning of the show to the end while mine goes forward and we sort of meet in the middle, uh, when we get married and, um, which is a really, really cool, um, structure of it yeah i really like it mm-hmm. uh what are some of the other productions that you've put on in the past like dirty rotten scandals was last year right mm. yep uh we've also done into the woods the adams family musical avenue q um young frankenstein those have been like the last couple of years what's the curatorial process like like how do you choose <laughs> it's a whole process. We basically spend like the entire summer or as soon as the last show ends, sometimes even before, just looking at shows, seeing what could possibly work for our group um, and narrowing it down to a couple of different options and then just going with our favorite as an executive. And so what made you decide on the last five years? That one's really a passion project for us. Alex and I have both been in love with the show for a really long time, and we just kind of got it in our heads that, oh, this is a possibility for us. With this stage that we have now, we can put on this show and make it good. So that's that's where that came from. Yeah, it was really interesting because it started off as like, oh, wouldn't it be so nice? We were just kind of hanging out one night like, oh, wouldn't we love to... And then independently, we both kind of had this, like, thinking about it. We were like, oh, oh, this this could happen. Like, we we actually did well with our last show. Dirty Rotten was a success. People loved it. Like, we had money in the bank. We had this professional space. We had people who were mentoring us. We had talent in the club. Like, we were like, oh, wow, this is actually a thing we could do. And it just... it. The fact that it just came from this innocent, like, oh, I I wish, like, this is such a wonderful thing that we would love to do in in a perfect world. And then it happened. Dreams do come true, kids. (laughs) 
Uh, and how about you, Solomon? How did you get involved in this particular production? In this? Oh, peer pressure. Well, peer yeah, pressure exactly. <laughs> we were watching, um, hanging out one time, basically watching the movie version, which had come out a couple of years ago. Um, and then um, Alex and Riley kind of asked, I was about to leave to go home, and they were like, hey, by the way, <laughs> do you think you could, like, do you think you could, like, do that? Like do what? Do what? We had absolutely been planning this for like two weeks you could beforehand. Like... <laughs> Whose voice are you imitating right now? Mine or Riley's? It's a combination. Okay. Yeah. It's <laughs> but they, basically they they asked me like if they thought I could um, pull off the part, and I thought no, I no, <laughs> I, I think I told them straight up no, I don't think so. You did. And then I and then I downloaded the soundtrack and I listened to it and. Um, um, I thought, you know, I could maybe actually do this and then with their encouragement, because I had never been in a, a lead before either, right? So um, it's a big step up for me, but um, I'm feeling pretty pretty confident about it, especially with Riley's directing and, and having Alex as a, a stage partner. It's, yeah, it's, it's really great. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did the partnership with Theatre Northwest develop? How did that start? Uh, they actually, they came to us. So Jack Grinhouse, who used to be the artistic director, and he's actually just stepped down now, um, he came to our production of Into the Woods, which was, as I say, in the Canfor Theatre. And he said, you know what, that could have been an amazing production if you just had a stage to work with. So this past year, um, with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, he he and uh, the past president of the club, they really started working together to figure out how exactly that was going to line up for us. Um, and then it did. And honestly, like that's, it was pretty out of the blue for us. We weren't expecting it. And it has been such a pleasure to work with them. That's great. And uh, what does the partnership look like in practical terms? Like what do uh, each of your mutual organizations gain? Um, I'll preface that by saying I interviewed them yesterday. I interviewed Theatre Northwest yesterday and they had great things to say about your organization as well. Uh, so Theatre Northwest, um, they, as I say, give us a place to rehearse um, and they give us a stage to perform on, but they also give us a bunch of advice such as like how to market ourselves, um, how to use technical equipment that we hadn't had before, um, even like they'll build our sets for us, especially if we know some of the people building them. Um, and we're just a small part of the community that they're bringing in and they are showing like how to make thrive, I guess, is the best way to put that. In our time with working with them, it's become very, very clear how community-based they are. So they're not just interested in the cultivation of the arts, but in local arts. So you can see like that it is rewarding for them to help us, which I mean, sounds kind of corny but um it you can see that they genuinely care that we are local and that we're volunteers and and that is what they want to reflect in in their business in what they show at the theater so that you can see Mm -hmm. um so there's been lots of successes in the past what are your hopes for the future where would you like to see the club build and grow we want better dancers (laughs) yeah if you're a dancer please come join our club Um, I think our big thing is just like, as this exec starts to move on, we're all approaching the end of our time at UNBC, making sure that we can still exist as a club, that even when these people aren't here, there will still be that love and passion that makes UNBC musicals a a success. Mm -hmm. Do you have any visions for what the club could be in the future? Or is that really up to the people that come next? 
at least for me, I would like to see expanding artistically for sure like now that and I think the last five years is really starting down that road because when we did Dirty Rotten and and it was a success and we were super excited about that we immediately started looking at shows for the next year and it and it became really clear that we were looking for another Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because we were excited and that was a success and you know everyone loved that and and then we kind of had to like stop ourselves and go no like we're we're better than doing the same show over and over again just because it was a success like we're artists we need to expand ourselves we need to do what the people will like to watch but also what we want to put on so we're really excited that especially this coming year like we're doing this small intimate realistic portrayal of a relationship but then later on in the year we're doing my fair lady (laughs) um as our, our year end show so then that's like this huge big wonderful fantastical world with dancing and and all of that so just kind of an expansion of that would be really amazing for me to see like expanding artistically doing different types of shows would be really amazing for the club goodness you know it just takes so much to even um keep things going right now as the show's coming up. So I don't know if I've had a ton of time to reflect on the future, but I think, um, yeah, like Alex was saying, I think um, being able to branch out and um, do different things and get different kinds of people involved with different specialties. And um, yeah, I think I think a, a big part of our role, which isn't necessarily a, a change, but I just hope that we can continue to provide a space for uh, young artists to come in and develop in their skills and their talents and um, be a part of something amazing. And and I hope that uh, we can just continue to be able to bring more and more variety of shows and just, in a sense, keep doing what we're doing, but keep doing it better and better and just hone our craft, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, And what would you say to people who are interested in joining or participating but maybe are a little shy about getting getting their feet wet we're super friendly (laughs) we're not scary and it's so much fun it's like i've learned so much in the past year um and i've gained some amazing friends I, i and i will say that i was very hesitant to try out last year i almost didn't do it and then i showed up sort of just on the last day of auditions and um kind of just on a whim and it's been honestly a life-changing experience so it's also something to keep in mind that um we're not just looking for for performers too Mm. if anybody is interested in working backstage or learning how to like run lights and sound we are your place to go it's so much fun i grew up as a techie and i love it i think it's also important that like we are a volunteer university club you don't have to be amazing and trained and you don't have to be this triple threat of like walking in and being able to dance and sing and obviously we want people who are passionate that's that's what matters if you're going to show up and you're going to try and you're going to care about what you're doing that's what matters to us we don't care whether you can come in and belt a high f like that's that's not what matters so we just want people who care about the club who care about the university who care about the arts like i mean coming into it Obviously, Saul had a lot of musical experience, but like he never danced before. He didn't nope. know what that was. Like, and I didn't he, know what dancing was. Exactly, I'd never heard <laughs> of it. He'd never heard of it in his life. Um, <laughs> but he came in not having any experience in it whatsoever. The the amazing thing about what Saul did and why he so quickly became really important to us is that he just threw himself into it. Like he'd never danced before, but if you told him to do a step, he would do it. And like he wouldn't look great doing it the first time, but then he would practice, <laughs> and then he would do it better. Or the fifth or sixth. <laughs> but you know like it 
it's practice and it's caring and it's and it's the community like if you want to be with a bunch of people who love the arts that's what matters far more than if you can do a time step like plus we have really great cast parties this is also true uh so where can people find out more about you get involved and get tickets to the last five years you can find us on our Facebook page, which is UNBC Musical Productions. Uh, you can get tickets to the last five years at tickets.theaternorthwest.com or in person at Theater Northwest and Books and & Co. Um, and you can also follow us on our Instagram, which I believe is also called UNBC Musical Productions. Also, our auditions for the next shows are coming up at the end of this month is what we're looking at. So if you just keep tuned with our facebook we'll be announcing things there we'll also be at clubs days obviously so if you're interested just come on down come meet us we're not that scary (laughs) um and auditions are coming up so that's for my fair lady for my fair lady and then we're doing also another little one uh just kind of a fundraiser thing just to kind of get everybody's feet wet um so you can audition for that one as well great riley alex solomon thank you so much i really appreciate your time thank you thanks As I knew, Thanks for listening to another episode of Culture Confluence. A huge thank you to all my guests, Marnie and John from Theatre Northwest and Riley, Alex, and Solomon from UNBC Musical Productions. As always, I'm grateful for the continued support of Studio 2880 and the Community Arts Council of Prince George, as well as Super 88.7 FM. Music for today's episode was from Bahamas, Basement Revolver, and Astral Swans. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please send me an email at cfur underscore hello at cfur.ca. I would love to hear from you. How about